Tech Talks are partnering with Alive and Kicking, a charity that set up businesses that manufacture beautiful sports balls across sub-Saharan Africa. Using profits from ball sales and additional fundraising from events like the Hackney Half Marathon, they're able to train sports coaches to deliver vital health education. We're about to hear from Naomi, a coach in Zambia, who's been trained to deliver mental health education to her community. Hello there, this is Coach Naomi from Zambia. I would love to say about Alive and Kicking training, which has helped me to teach my players about like mental health. It has really built my knowledge and they have passed through to my young players in, in the community. I also work with Special Olympics where we deal with children with a disability, mentally and physically. I hope and trust that the Alive and Kicking will continue teaching coaches in various parts of the world, not just in Zambia. Thank you very much, Alive and Kicking. Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's podcast, we're talking to Graham Smith, Dr. Graham Smith, rather. He is the SVP of External Affairs at Oxbotica. But before that, hi, Jack. Hello, David. Nervous about this evening? Yes. So for listeners, we're, we're recording on Wednesday, uh, the day of the Europa League final, which is disturbingly huge for an Arsenal fan. Not so much Chelsea. Chelsea don't need to win tonight. They're already in Champions League. Whereas every North Londoner who is red is very nervous today. Whereas the White Half are very nervous for Saturday. Yeah, it's a bit worrying, isn't it? The White Half probably couldn't care less. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've even Which heard is a bit like annoying. Well, every Spurs fan I know is like, yeah, it'd be good for you guys to win the Mickey Mouse Europa League. It's fine. We'll, we'll just win the Champions League. And you know, they won't though. In a dream world, Arsenal win and Liverpool win. But I hey. mean, no offence to our Spurs supporting uh, listeners and producer Ryder, <laughs> Liverpool are going to win. Well, I hope so. But you know. No, sorry, no part of me can even <laughs> begin to want them to win. I'm sorry, Ryder. Um, so, today's interview... Well, actually, hang on, because it's, uh, there's a lot of Arsenal fans that have struggled with the journey to Baku, right? right. Which is at the, the very eastern point of Azerbaijan, which is further east than Turkey and Georgia. I don't think you're going to get there in an autonomous vehicle. But... You could, uh, you could potentially, it could be a nice long plane road from an airport to Baku, you know, a, a point a, to point, a point to point travel that a level four or level five autonomous vehicle could get us there. <laughs> Look at you with your knowledge of autonomous vehicles. I've learned so much. <laughs> right. Okay. With that, we will uh, hand over to Dr. Graham Smith and we'll be back with some comments afterwards. So today we're talking to Graham. Graham, you're the CEO of Oxbotica. That's right. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How long have you been in, in that post now? Well, we started Oxbotica about four and a half years ago. Yep. So I've been the CEO since, well, actually, since before we started the company. One of the co-founders? Um, not one of the technical co-founders, but yeah, I was there at the start. Right, okay. So, and who are the company? Because people might not be familiar with your brand yet. Well, we originally span out of Oxford University four and a half years ago. Um, we have two co-founders, it's Professor Paul Newman and Professor Ingmar Posner. Mm -hmm. And they've got a track record of many years of working together in the area of autonomous vehicles and intelligent robots. 
And we basically started a company to leverage around about 300 man years of innovation that they developed together. Out of interest, how come you did enter the business at such an early stage? Because normally one of the co-founders assumes the title of CEO. So <laughs> I, I, would, I would hazard a guess that it was quite forward thinking of them maybe to say we're not, we're not business people per se. Well, it was one of those chance meetings. I met with uh, Paul Newman. Um, it was a House of Commons Select Committee. We got to chatting. He was talking about some of the things they'd been doing at Oxford, and it was really exciting. And you know, my background is you know, my PhD is in robotics. I spent a lot of time at Ford Motor Company developing things like adaptive cruise control. Right. We got on like a house on fire, and I said, "Well, why don't we have a chat and see if we can help get some of this um, some of this technology into production?" And it all started there, really. I see. So, so where have you gone from that point to where you are today? <laughs> well, so we started a company and we licensed some um, intellectual property from the university, hired our first few employees back in 2014. And today we're about 120 people. Mm. And we've moved offices three or four times. We're forever growing, getting much, much bigger. So uh, all the time we're getting better. We're developing much more IP ourselves. We've got... Um, we're one of the few companies in Europe with actual autonomous vehicles on the public streets doing mm-hmm. testing and, and demonstrations and evaluations. So um, we've been going a thousand miles an hour since we started. And when we say autonomous vehicles, we're talking about software that plugs into existing vehicles? That's right. So what we do is we're a software company yeah. and we develop software for autonomous vehicles. Right. And, and your system is called Selenium. Yeah, we have two products we're developing. Um, Selenium is like the brain in the car. It's a software virtual driver that lives in the car. Yeah. And, and then in the cloud, we're also developing a, developing a product called Cesium. And right. Cesium is the brain, if you like, that controls a fleet of autonomous vehicles. Who are your customers typically? Because I can't imagine that it's me or my <laughs> colleagues you know, going into their dealership going, all oh, right, I, I, I would love a car and I'd love Selenium to be plugged into yeah, it. And you want the Spotica solution in your car. <laughs> well, that's an understandable thing. But no, our, our customers are not just car companies. I think that's a great thing to remember because when we talk about autonomous vehicles, we always think about cars that we'll eventually own. Mm. And that'll come, but not right now. What The sort of customers we have are a mixture between... Um, you know, car companies, supplies to car companies, mining companies, you know, maybe warehousing companies, forklift companies. So it's a very wide range of industries, all of which will take autonomous vehicle solutions at a slightly different point in time. Mm. So I suppose when you say they're warehouse machinery, kind of forklifts, it, it, it can be quite slow, cumbersome vehicles doing quite repetitive tasks that you just need. That I suppose it's, it's freeing up people's time and not having to sit there and do something quite low level. That's right, and you tend to see robotics being implemented in any industry where yeah. you have repetitive tasks and also where you have the opportunity to improve safety. Right. So I think this will be exactly the same for how autonomous vehicles start. It's about efficiency, it's about safety, it's about taking on the easy tasks first and not trying to do the most complicated tasks straight out of the gate. It would be interesting, especially when we're talking about warehouses, we're talking about safety, to find out about the different levels mm. of autonomy because and, and I am guilty of this you talk about autonomous vehicles and I immediately jump to the idea of some kind of science fiction autonomous vehicle where it has all bells and whistles doing everything that you want it to do and don't, don't we all so essentially there are there are five levels of technology the industry has coalesced onto trying to define autonomy in these five different levels mm-hmm. um, they're very general but it gives you an idea of, of, of how it all sort of breaks out and you'll start to see some of these levels of autonomy today so level one it are things that you might already have seen in cars today, like adaptive cruise control. Yeah. So they're what we might call um, feet-off technologies. You know, they're technologies that let you control, that automatically control the brake and the accelerator. 
So level one includes things like adaptive cruise control, maybe autonomous emergency braking. Um, um, level, and level two technologies are what I might call hands-off and feet-off. So they're technologies that will let the car steer for itself as well, uh, as well as sort of controlling the throttle and the brakes of the car. But it's important for level one and level two that the driver's still kind of in the loop and is paying attention to what's around him. And so you'll see Tesla, for example, has cars that are maybe somewhere between level one and level two. Um, level three is where you start to get to what's called eyes off. So this is a car that's starting to drive itself um, using the throttle, the brakes, and the steering wheel, can steer itself, can react to certain situations. And the driver's allowed to take their eyes off the road, but they still need to be there and they still need to be able to come back in and take control of the car when required. Um, Level four is the next level. Um, level four is kind of where I would call that brain off. Mm. So there's a person in the car, but they're not really engaged in the driving task at all. So you can go to sleep, read a paper. Um, but there might be times when you've got to come back into the loop and take control of the car. So maybe, for example, a long journey, you might, you might complete the beginning of the, the end of the journey, the beginning of the journey. Level five is really a car or a vehicle that operates with no human involvement at all. So it could be an empty vehicle, could be a vehicle carrying your children or something. So it's a, it's a completely autonomous vehicle. Level four sounds like autopilot fly-by-wire. It sounds like the, the point where someone can really can just relax and let, let, let a machine fly itself. And I guess yeah. on the roads, yeah. we're some way off that. But I'd be interested to know kind of how, how is... How is regulation, or how are even your own your own thoughts on on where this should be, is 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 kind of is informing how you build the technology? Because mm. I have read articles where it suggested that mm. we should let humans drive the car, but with the machine sitting as a silent co-pilot in the background, mm-hmm. correcting them when they make a mistake, rather than having the humans sit there and suddenly take over when something's about to go wrong because the machine's not sure what to do. And I think that's that is an approach as well. I think we'll we'll see that creeping in as the technology starts to mature that you see. You know, more and more advanced driver assistance systems that intervene when they think the drivers maybe make a, made a wrong decision. Mm. And I think you'll start to see those coming into cars as an offshoot of the rest of the development of autonomy. Right. But the, the important thing is, as you start to look at these different levels, the, where, it, the discussion really becomes around where would you use that type of technology. So, for example, if your journey was just a straight motorway from A to B and it was a protected lane on that motorway, you could imagine that level four autonomy could be available today on that. Because it's not a complicated environment, you're not sharing it with many other road users, you know, there's no cats, dogs, kids, school children walking across the road. So some of these different levels are, are we're able to, to run them already in certain environments. And as particularly as you go to say environments, for example, like warehousing or mining, where they've already got processes to exclude humans from the operational areas, mm. you will already see you know, full level five vehicles doing their stuff without any human involvement. So you'll see this start to happen in patches. And at Oxbotica, we focus on level four, level five autonomy in tight urban environments. We've chosen to specialize in a, in a very, very tight environment for for passenger car. Um, and then beyond that, we think that the skills that we would then deploy into other areas are exactly the same as that. This might be a really stupid question. When you say tight urban areas, I'm assuming we're talking about inner cities, places. Yeah, inner cities. So places like you no know, cities like London and yeah. Paris and Berlin, you know, those types of typical European cities, which are you know, typically built for horse and cart with low traffic speeds. Um, you know, we intend to be experts there for, uh, for passenger car autonomy. 
And, and there's a lot of learning we get from, from working that really hard end of the problem that we're able to take and deploy into other industries. How does the UK stack up in terms of an, a country where, where there's the infrastructure and also possibly the appetite from regulators to, to push ahead with this? So, you know, are we well placed in the industry to kind of make strides ahead of some of our, some of our European uh, neighbours? Mm. Um, and also, I suppose it'd be interesting to know how much collaboration is going on between those countries. Because if you've got data coming in from Paris and Germany, how, how relevant are those? That, that is that? Well, I'd imagine it's very relevant, but maybe not. I think every country has its own law, own laws about the use of autonomous vehicles on the streets. Right. And it all goes back to, to the Vienna Convention, which some countries ratified and some countries didn't ratify it. Mm. Now, as it happens, the UK didn't ratify it. What that means, though, is that you, we're able to drive autonomous vehicles on the streets of the UK today without the type of licensing that you might have heard about that happens in California. Right. And, other countries in Europe uh, did ratify the Vienna Convention, and it means that they have to pass Acts of Parliament to be able to drive autonomously on the roads. So the UK uh, is in a great position where we're already able to start to, to deploy some level of autonomy on the streets. Um, now, coupled with that, of course, is a huge dependency on the safety case and following codes of practice and all sorts of other things that are in place to make sure any of those trials on the streets here are safe. But I think we definitely have an advantage over some of our European neighbours in being able to get the technology out there and to be able to start to work it. So when you're working with, say, Addison Lee, and you're looking at a fleet of vehicles, you've often seen this idea kind of a, of cars being part of the gig economy, and maybe you own a car and it yeah. goes out and it, it works as a taxi for you whilst yeah. you're at work. Yeah. Is that something that kind of <laughs> Addison Lee as a taxi company is actually feasibly looking at, or is that a little way off? I assume it's some way off, but it'd be interesting to kind of know where, what the thinking is. Um, I think we'll start to see that. So the application that will fall into will be something called robo-taxi. Mm. Um, sounds very science fiction-y, doesn't it? And, and we've seen this in different parts of the world where, um, where we started to see trials of these robo-taxis being developed in very specific places. So we, um, we have a concept called geofencing. It's basically where you'd have a geographical area, which is usually a very simple area today where we start to operate these types of services so we can start to deploy them. And so um, the a typical model for that type of application is you might have a robo-taxi that carries people at the rush hour, mm. and then for the rest of the day, it delivers parcels, and then has sort of a mixed model as well. And that's one great way of bringing the overall cost down of the people carrying and the, 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 the parcel carrying. In that scenario, could you see it being a great method of reducing overall numbers of cars on the road? Yeah, absolutely, because I don't think the, um, autonomous, the autonomous vehicle concept doesn't work if it just adds more and more vehicles to the mm. road. So it has to happen in a way that is sensitive to things like pollution and congestion and the road noise, um, as well as managing the traffic as well. So one of the advantages of autonomous vehicles is that you'll be able to direct them, you'll be able to direct the traffic, you'll be able to influence the decisions that they take and where they go to, to optimize the overall traffic flow. Yeah. Um, but really, the, the you'll see around the world there's huge interest from cities, and here in London we've got huge interest from, from transport from London, Similarly in Oxford, we work with Oxfordshire County Council because they want to get ahead of the curve and understand the implications of autonomous vehicles in their streets and really know whether they need to, to regulate them at all or whether they need to encourage them and, or encourage different behaviours. I suppose and that, that leads on to an interesting last point. What area within this industry 
I don't want to say it's holding us back because I don't want to suggest that there's there's an there's an element of kind of negativity on one on one party or another. But are there areas where we need to concentrate? Is it the ecosystem? Is it smart cities? Is it I would imagine possibly regulation, or is it the technology itself? Are any of these elements of it actually further ahead than maybe we're necessarily aware or, or, yeah. or as familiar with in, in the kind of the media? I think I think there's a, a complex jigsaw puzzle of things that need to happen for us to deploy autonomous vehicles. Mm. So first of all, you know, it's going to be many years before you and I can go to a dealership and just buy a fully autonomous vehicle. You know, we might be able to buy a, a level two or a level three or level four progressively, but to get to the point where we might put our kids into our own vehicle and wave them goodbye as they go to school. That's probably 10 years or so away. Um, but, you know, you hit upon there some of the other jigsaw pieces that you need. You, know, you need regulation to be in place. You need legislation. Probably needs to be international legislation about the mm. vehicles. You, know, you need this, the city model to uh, uh, be able to accept the vehicles. We need quite a few things in place that are, are not quite there yet, but are coming together. So it kind of begs the question, do you see this... Do you see this being something that where we might see a certain city really take a lead? Uh, you know, if you look at technology as a whole, mm. you're seeing you're seeing some great innovation city hubs around cyber in Belfast. Yeah. and Belfast. you know, and you, you think about Tees Valley, uh, they're really pushing ahead with with mm. trade tech. Yeah. Could it be the, the the West Midlands, that Birmingham, where there's where there's a real focus on on vehicles generally, could be a hub mm. where we start to see yeah. kind of progress ahead of yeah. maybe a wider scale. What, I think where you'll see this first are simpler environments, potentially where you have the opportunity to control the environment. Right. So cities that have simpler environments, cities may, maybe it'll be individual places in cities. So for example, science parks, campuses, right. retirement communities in the US. These are all areas where we'd expect to see autonomous vehicles at level four, level five working more uh, soon. And then after that, you'll start to see pockets of areas of operation. And there might be high-density areas, might be point-to-point -point between, say, a, a tube station and an airport or something. You know, but areas that they're, they're not too complex, but mm. you can map and then control. And then over time, you'll start to see these areas merge together as the vehicles get more capable and the mapping gets more capable. And, and then eventually, they'll start to cover bigger areas. So I think the, the first places to have this are going to be relatively simple places. And then they'll all join together over a period of time. Quick last point then. You're you look very smart today. You have you. a shirt and tie on. You're off to Parliament it's very as a unusual. consequence. Very <laughs> unusual, yes. And look, you know, I'm joking around, but um, you are heavily involved in in kind of government government backed schemes. Mm. So what's what, what what's next for for Oxbotica? What's next uh, in terms of development and how you're working with with the, right. with the government and wider industry? Um, yeah, so the UK government has been very, very helpful to this industry. They, they definitely see autonomous vehicles as a great opportunity for the UK for us to be able to produce more exportable goods and services. Right. So there's been quite a few rounds of, um, of, of government funding. Um, government set up a department called the Centre for Connected and Autonomous Vehicles. And through Innovate UK, they've made available quite a lot of money for, uh, for funded projects. So what that means to small companies like Oxbotica is that we get to partner with other companies, other like-minded companies, um, and then the, uh, the projects are jointly funded between the, the companies themselves and the government. Mm. So what's that, what that has done for us is we, um, we launched a project uh, last year or the year before called Driven. It's a consortium project with some fairly big partners. And as a part of Driven, and you'll see this later on this year, we'll be doing a big showcase event here in London with... Um, around about four or five of our autonomous vehicles working as a kind of fleet. Right. Um, so you'll see, uh, we'll do a demo, in, uh, a big demo in Oxford, and then we're going to come to London and run the same type of demo here. 
Um, so that's the Driven project. Um, we've also part of a, another consortium project with Addison Lee, and mm-hmm. as part of that project, again here in London, we'll be running four um, services or four demonstration services next year in London, probably in the Greenwich area. We'll we'll actually be taking real customers and putting them in autonomous vehicles. Right. And the way it would work for those customers is if uh, if you're an Addison Lee customer, you'll have the app. If you live in a certain area, you'll be able to select from that app whether you want to travel by autonomous vehicle. And if there's one available and it'll t- it can do your journey, it will then take you. Be interesting journey. to see what public appetite is is like when they are given the choice. Well, we found, you know, despite some of the stories you hear in the press, yeah. that um, you know, we we've had overwhelming support from everybody yeah. we've spoken to, and uh, that we were frequently on the streets of Oxford, and London. You know, members of the public walk up and just chat to our team all the time because everybody is really intrigued about autonomous mm. vehicles and how they work and what they'll do. You know, we, we've rarely heard a bad word said about them when we've actually met people. So, so we're looking forward to a huge acclaim. And we've done trials before where we put people in and you know, perhaps when they've seen the vehicles in the distance, they're not too sure. Um, you know, we know we've won, unfortunately, when the vehicles are really boring to be in. Yes. So you get in a car and the car behaves just like a chauffeur-driven vehicle, and people get out the other side and they say, what was all that fuss about? Yeah. And that's the way it's going to be. Well, look, it's fascinating. Thank you for sharing some insight. Thank and, you. I uh, hope your meeting goes well this afternoon. Thank you very much. Level one, two, three, four, you understand them now. I do, I do. And it's, you know, what's interesting is, I think we're already at, I mean, as Graham says, you know, Tesla and alike are already at levels one and two now, uh, that being, feet off technology and hand I, I just love the practical names they've given the technology whether this is graham's own name for it or the industry-wide name i'm not sure but you've got feet off technology hands and feet off technology level three sees eyes off te- technology level four brain off technology i think, I'd, I think I'd, I'd suit brain off technology brain off is is kind of where i'm at well we autonomously drive this podcast with brain off technology <laughs> so maybe maybe in cars it wouldn't be so bad and then yeah obviously level five being no human involvement at all which is you know the skynet scariness that scaremongers like to portray in the media but it's not really that scary. It's not scary at all. You can still intervene. You can still pull up the handbrake. I, I would, I, I would be surprised. I mean, as I talked in the interview, you know, different countries have different ways of thinking, different processes, different laws. I'd be surprised if any British person would ever be totally brains off. Like it's just not inbuilt into us to trust something like this. Well, I, I suppose it's if you jump right to the end of the interview when he's talking about public reaction to an autonomous vehicle. Mm. There's that curiosity thing there at the minute, isn't there? But very quickly, you know, he says, we know we've won when these vehicles are really boring. Yeah. And yes, totally. To begin with, you would be sitting in the back seat, potentially kind of shaking a little bit, a bit nervous as as your car overtakes something for you. But I I bet within an hour or two, you go, this is fine. (laughs) Novelty wears off pretty quickly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think... You know the, the the technology's there, and and you know as as Graham says, they're being tested on campuses, on closed roads, and stuff like that. And science parks, science parks, exactly. And it's it's exciting, Dave. This is the this is the tech that we love. So, um, when I was listening back to it, I often I often miss things when when we're recording the interviews, and then listen back and go, well, there's a gem. Right. And we often talk about making sure that smart cities are ready for mm. autonomous vehicles. Mm. Right. I love the. You know, these cities are typically built for horse and carts. I, I sometimes I forget that, right? Cities are old. Yeah. London, Paris, Berlin, they weren't even built with the car in mind, let alone 
the autonomous vehicles. So when we talk about a smart city being ready, having the infrastructure, there's really a big, there's a big leap there. I mean, it's, it's so obvious when it's, when it's brought up like this, you know, our roads weren't designed for cars, you know, only, only now are they, you know, and even now there's potholes everywhere. So <laughs> the, the design flaws are still there, right? But yeah, I mean, we, 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 the Romans came, they, they gave us straight roads and, and, you know, whatever else they brought over. And here we are, they didn't even consider the fact that... Ro Roman society would have been well suited to autonomous horse and cart. Well, horses are fairly autonomous anyway, well, right? Yeah, but, <laughs> um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because we often think about, is the technology there? Is the technology there? Oh, come on, let's not be silly. AI, when it comes to this kind of narrow AI, is still, still a bit off. And when he was talking about the fact that, you know, level five is many years away. Well, my, in my mind, years. I was immediately thinking 2034, and then Me it goes too. 10 years. Yeah. You're like, hang on a minute, that's not actually that far off. Compared to where we were 10 years ago as well, right? Well, you think about what's happened in the last 10 years, yeah. technology-wise. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite surprised it's as short a period of time as, as that. And it's, you know, you know the, the cities are built for horse and cart, they're not ready. The regulation isn't ready yet. No. As ever, though, it's the technology that's pushing the boundaries and everything else is now having to work double quick time to keep up. Well, just harking back to Monday's show, if Tesla can, or someone of that ilk, can incorporate their own uh, ITSP02 or whatever, I forget what it was. The ITP. Yeah, if they can- 2.2. If they can create their own legislation, well, let's implement it. Huh? Oh God, that is utopian thinking that is, isn't it? What did you think about this idea that TfL and Oxford County Council are working in partnership because they want to better understand the data? I thought that was quite forward Love thinking. Love you know, that. we often, we have a bit of a go sometimes yeah. at uh, central and local government yeah. and it being a little bit um, slow to react. If they were to try and do this themselves, it would be a failure, yep. but they're working here with a small, nimble, tech organization i mean i know they're not that small but by comparison well, to local government yeah. authorities of you know of that ilk they are looking to companies like oxbotica and it rings true when you think about ways and how ways yes. are providing data to tfl etc well it just it, it just makes sense you know um, and what was really really good to hear was that you know these these projects and opportunities are part funded by the government you know yep. it's almost encouraging collaboration it's encouraging not quite the devolvement of power in local government, but for Oxford Council and TfL to work together, there is a certain sense of trust that they will operate, not in silo, but together for the benefit of everyone, right? Mm. You know, it might be led by these two people, but it's for the greater good of the country. And I also think in, with public perception, we're sometimes not very good at joining the dots. Mm. So if we think about it, um, when he talks about this happening in patches, yeah. because we don't see an autonomous vehicle on the roads and go, oh, there it is, yeah. we think it's not happening. But actually, warehouses, yeah. you know, if you, th if you think about some of those videos, actually, that you see of uh, Amazon robots whizzing around Amazon videos. warehouse, yeah. that's level four or five yeah. uh, right there. Yeah. And it, it is, it, it is interesting how he talks about patches and merging of those patches and over time all of a sudden you'll go, oh hang on a minute, we've got the technology and it's beginning to break into new territory, quite literally. Yeah, I mean look, all you've got to do is follow the right people on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and you will see this stuff every day as we do, you know. Mm. But by the way, just on that, something Dave tweeted over the weekend was VR football, which was hilarious to watch <laughs> I really love that um, but yeah if you follow the right people we will and I don't want to say desensitized but we will be more desensitized to us and it'll be less shocking to see it on the road the car will become boring the car will become boring exactly last point they've missed a trick go on robo taxi no johnny cab just call it johnny cab yeah but you know johnny 
Johnny has other implications no, for different words. No, 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 no. No, I know what you're Total saying. Recall. No, I know, but if you want to get in a Johnny cab, it's, I don't know. Am I just being Johnny, geeky? Am I being too geeky? An Essex, as an Essex boy, a Johnny was only ever referred to in one term. No, 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 no. That was for That's just you. Condoms. Right, Johnny Cab nah. would be a great name. Robo for Taxi Thomas. works a lot better. Sorry, oh. sorry, Dave, but I prefer Robo Taxi. Okay, all right, fine. <laughs> Look, we're going to go to our advert break and then we'll come back with some news and another blind topic. <laughs> Navigating the technology talent market is tough. Thankfully, Harvey Nash are on hand to help. A global technology recruitment company with over 30 years worth of experience, they specialize in areas such as BI and data analytics. Additionally, in June, they published their 21st global CIO survey, the largest technology leadership survey of its kind with over three and a half thousand participants. If you want more info about that survey, jointly published with KPMG, simply email techtalkscio to info at harveynash.com and we'll make sure someone gets in touch. We were talking about RoboTaxi in the first half of the show. I yep. think it's time to talk about RoboCrop. RoboCrop? RoboCrop. Have you seen this uh, news story? I have. An autonomous machine expected to pick um, more than 25,000 raspberries a day outpacing human workers. Unlucky British emigrants to Australia is all I can think of at I the moment. I didn't think of that. I'll be yeah. honest. I, I thought it was interesting because they were talking obviously about Brexit and the fact that yeah. fewer fruit pickers are wanting to come to, the, to, to Britain mm. because of Brexit and therefore there was a risk to the summer crop this year. Right. Um, I hadn't actually thought about the fact that this might stop youngsters uh, going it's overseas the, from Britain. It's the easiest. Well, since Australia changed the rules on um, working there as an emigrant, uh, like they've made it harder for people to get into recruitment uh, now. So people will typically do the farming stuff, right? And, you know, this technology that we're about to dive into could get rid of, you know, that, that ideal way, that pathway into Australia. If anyone's interested in kind of context, because 25,000 mm. raspberries, it's like, yeah, but what does a human pick? They, they suggest that uh, an average human uh, within an eight-hour shift manages 15,000 raspberries. Wow. So it's a dramatic difference. A lot more efficient. And you don't have to feed these robots. Absolutely not, no. Um, so it's gone on trial in the UK as the farming industry battles rising labour costs and Brexit-related shortages of seasonal workers. Look, we all know that the farming community is under great stress. Mm. I think anything that allows farmers to deliver uh, in a way that saves their resources is only a good thing as well because farming is, is part of the fabric quite you know quite it's the patchwork of this country if you look at it yeah no absolutely and, and anything that helps protect farmers in the country I think is a good thing and also it's nice getting seasonal produce I think one of the yeah. things that we've lost when you go to a supermarket mm. you can get various different fruit and veg any time of the year it's quite a nice thing actually getting local produce and knowing it's in season oh yeah I, I had um, some of Rosie's dad's um, salad this weekend that he'd grown in his own patch in the garden rocket chard chard you know all yeah. these lovely leaves that he made and it you, it just tastes nicer it's fresher it's better yeah I'm all for this you know and it's it's you know it's augmenting boring jobs you know especially as the UK is struggling to find people to do this job it's a perfect tech solution there is a paragraph in this that I love separate field trials quite literal field trials in China have shown the robot can pick tomatoes and it's also been let loose on cauliflower 
What, what kind of a, a, a vision that, that paint has been let loose on cauliflower. Robot wow. gone mad. Yeah. Picking uh, veg. I mean, I suppose that, that just shows how tender the, the picking fingers are, you know. But you can pick a tomato without squeezing it too hard. But I thought cauliflower grew, grew out of the ground a bit know. like a cabbage or a lettuce. I've got no so idea. So it's a bit different to like picking something off a branch. Like it's literally uprooting, surely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, me being the the borderline weirdo that I am just thinking they've got uses for grapes at, at, at wineries and vineyards yeah it is backbreaking work yeah it, yeah and then you could get the hands to pick and then you could get the feet on the robot to smush the grapes down <laughs> listeners I'm doing a kind of smushing motion with my hands <laughs> right I think it's time that we had a look inside this envelope that Ryder producer Ryder has provided open it up here we go it was sealed we don't know what's in it VAR <laughs> it's it's topical. So VAR is um, in operation tonight for the Europa League final, but it hasn't been. We should the rest just of the explain. Whilst yes. we love football, our listeners might not. VAR is a video-assisted referee. Yes, and to quote football. to quote my hero uh, Arsene Menger, he said, "British referees do not operate to any kind of standard when they become a referee. They just operate off the backs of their own initiative and intelligence." Right, so. As football's progressed and dived more and more into technology, when we analyse and review and scout now in, within technology, it's really beginning to help expedite the sport into the 21st century, finally. But referees, being humans, make an incredible lot of decisions and are very ego-driven, especially in the UK. You know, Mark Clattenburg, ex-UK referee, now does in Saudi Arabia, very egomaniac to the point where he had Champions League final and World Cup final tattooed on him because he refereed there. Now, these people shouldn't be in football anymore because they've got too much ego. Take the ego away, put in video-assisted refereeing, bada-bing, bada-boom, you can't get decisions wrong anymore. Some people argue that it disrupts the flow of the game. I'd say watch the Champions League games between Man United and PSG. It's more drama. Or it's, it's more drama given to us. City, Spurs. I... <gasps> I actually think it adds to the drama. And look, fundamentally, when there's a horrendous decision that should definitely not affect the outcome of a game, that gets rid of the horrendous decisions, there's always going to be marginal calls. But it's, help, it's helping officials. And if you look at how um, technology has improved sports like cricket and tennis. Rugby. And rugby. Yep, yep. It's only a good thing. We're, we're for it, but we, you know we understand that some people might not be for it because it ruins the sanctity of the game. No, but it gives a slightly different entertainment element. When the ref goes it. to the screen, yeah. you're like, what's going to happen? And everyone has their opinion in the pub. And every, yeah, 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 brilliant. Anyway, VAR, good thing. Technology improving the world in every sense. Right. Good topic, Ryder. Um, so look, good luck tonight. Mm. I know Ryder won't share my enthusiasm. No, he will because he doesn't care. Spurs fans don't care if we win or lose. It on, on the way over, he told me that he hopes he lose. Yeah, there you go. And I wouldn't expect anything less because we're rivals. Ryder and I are friends, <laughs> but first and foremost, we're football fans. Right. <laughs> um, but yes, we'll uh, catch up again later in the week and we'll talk to our listeners on Monday. Bye-bye. Well, it'll be June, a new month.